Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Todd Pod, right here on the Sellout Crowd Network, and I'm joined by Eli Letterman today. We're going to talk some proper football. We're even going to talk a little OU football before we get out of here. Eli, good to see you. Good to be with you again. The international break is over. Thank you, Jesus. Thank goodness. Thank you for having me back. And yes, the international break, man, it hits so differently depending on how your club team is doing. There were times I'm a Spurs supporter and during the Antonio Conte era, those were like our vacations. It was always like get us to the international break just so we can get two weeks off from this. Conversely, when your team's going great, as Spurs were right up until the international break, it's the most excruciating two weeks. Same with you and City. I've been it's it's killer. So we're finally back. I'm stoked. I'll be well, on the turnpike headed to Tulsa during the Spurs match Saturday, but I'll have an eye on it. Uh, maybe in the passenger seat with Barry Trammell, depending on how the travel plans work. Uh, but football is back, and that's what's important. I can give you some play-by-play if you want to do an AirPod situation. I'll just get you on a call and give you some play-by-play. I would listen to Todd Lisenby's yeah. play-by-play. On, yeah. It might be better than what we've got on NBC. Who knows? We'll see what well, crew they have. It is interesting when you come back from the break, You know, at least with – I, I don't know. Maybe this is a bad thing. I think all soccer fans by nature are pessimistic, but at least for Spurs, it's not a super tough opponent. Man City have West Ham this weekend, so I feel what you're saying times 10 because Man City are going on the road to play at West Ham. So we'll talk more about that in the Premier League coming up. We just had an international break, though, and I'm curious, Eli, how much do you pay attention to them? How much do you pay attention to them ever and how much do you pay attention to them right now where you know it's never like a huge question if the u.s is going to qualify in Concacaf and make the world cup but it's certainly not a question this time because they're automatically in because they're hosts in 2026 so with that in mind does it make you pay more attention that we've got a usa world cup coming in does it make you pay less attention or are you kind of like me and have always kind of struggled to care about international breaks I think it's all about the time of year and kind of what's coming up on the calendar. As we get closer, obviously, to a World Cup, but also to, you know, for the U.S., a Copa America, right? It's going to be here in the U.S., if I'm not mistaken. I I do mix up some of the South American competitions, but that's coming here and the U.S. will be involved. Same with, you know, in Europe, the Euros are coming. That's more on the horizon to me than 2024. But you're right. The U.S. isn't playing for qualification. And so from from that perspective with the men's national team, it's more, you know, which of the... uh, under the radar cult hero, like U.S. men's national team guy. Did I get to see play that I'm excited about? What is Greg Berhalter's U.S. men's national team now look like? You know, all that drama is probably more where the attention goes. But then over in Europe, and you can tell me if it's the same in South America, uh, you, you're more just hoping that the guys on your club team don't pick up injuries while they're away. Um, and, you know, with Tottenham's son, he was photographed with, uh, with ice on his left knee and everyone freaked out for about two hours and then he was good. Uh, you're always hoping Christian Romero doesn't wind up with some kind of injury. That's how it goes at Spurs. Um, so that's where my attention goes. But I can't say I'm like tuning into friendlies between England and Malta when, when those go on or San Marino. Uh, back in the day, I did see an England-San Marino game, a friendly at Wembley, and it went about how you would have expected. Well, it's, I mean, a couple things. First of all, I'll say this, totally random fact. UCO has a wide receiver named Christian Romero. It always really? makes me laugh. Yeah, yeah, they have a wide receiver named Christian yeah. Romero. Uh, had had like four or five catches last week against Central Missouri. So um, that's part one. Part two, it's 
it's always to me about for the U.S. men's national team, especially in this situation where they're trying to build up to the World Cup. I don't. They played Oman and Uzbekistan this last weekend. You know, if you want me to get up for an international break, play against some of the big international squads against some of their better players. Now, the next international break for, uh, or the next match for the U.S. men's national team, which is the next international break, October fourteenth. Now. This is interesting for a couple reasons. You've probably been thinking about that Saturday all year long because it's your first bye week covering OU. OU not playing October the 14th. And at 2 p.m. on October the 14th, it's USA Germany. And then October the 17th, it's USA Ghana. So I think I'll be a little more interested when that comes around right now. It all seems a bit too early to even start thinking about the 2026 World Cup, if I'm being totally honest with you. And it's the one that starts... I mean, right out of the gate, you're just getting going. You're just getting excited about the Premier League, and it's a screeching halt with the international break. And I wish that they could change how these are scheduled. I don't know about you. Well, that's this is probably the worst of the international breaks because we not like we don't get we we have way too much soccer being played around the world right now, and it's felt like that since kind of COVID and since the stoppages, and they had yeah. to cram all those games back in, but. These guys are playing too much. However, the summer still feels excruciatingly long. And we finally get back to the Premier League in August. It's great. And then, boosh, you get this two-week wall, this window. It's never fun. As it relates to the U.S., and the, those two games in October are big, I feel like as a, as a supporter of like the, the men's national team, you know how much you need to care about that break when they release the squad and who they call up. So for that break, if, if for Germany and Ghana, they call up you know, some of the big guns, and, and the guys you're expecting to be on, on the team in 2024 and 2026, great. But if they don't, if they just kind of pick a, a B or a C team, you kind of know what they're, how they're approaching it. And I think that gives you the guidance on, on how much to really care. Yeah, and the U.S. men's national team, they, they picked their A team this last week against Oman and Uzbekistan. A lot of big names, Balogun in the lineup, uh, Christian Pulisic in the lineup for the U.S. men's national team and kind of took care of business. So, Not a whole lot to take out of it other than we are back. We are back to the Premier League this week. We got some big matchups this week. Before we really get to those, you know, we didn't we didn't get a chance to wrap up after I guess what would have been now two weeks ago, the last weekend of Premier League action. Uh, You know, what were your thoughts on uh, how that weekend shook out, especially the big matchup a couple weekends ago between Arsenal and Man United, where Arsenal get the two late goals to win three one. I think that was probably more representative to me of what Manchester United is, which is capable of, of hanging on. I mean, they had the moments, they had the offside goal where they could have gone up late, but ultimately they just seem to be missing something. I know we're going to hit on them and their matchup this weekend a bit more, but um, I don't know. And I'm you shoot. You've got plenty of bias against United. I've got some of my own, but I just, even from a neutral perspective, I'm, I'm something's missing in that midfield. Something is missing when Marcus Rashford's not playing in position. And, and now I guess he gets to be back in his right spot on the wing with, with Hoyland back. But I don't know. I have, I have too many questions there about what's going on on the pitch and then off of it. It just seems like bad vibes around the club altogether. And I feel like that's the kind of match that happens to clubs that are not in sync or, or just where, where the vibes are bad. They were they were right there in it. Should have been a one 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 draw maybe in the end, and somehow they lose three one on a pair of uh, stoppage time goals. That's the kind of stuff that happens to a team when they're when they're just off. And I, I don't know if they've got what they need to kind of remedy that. 
Look, I know it's cliche, but those those two stoppage time goals, those that's like the stuff of teams that are contenders late in the season. So it's a huge win for Arsenal. And the teams that usually give up those are the teams that find themselves in fourth or fifth at the end of the year, you know, of the favorites. So those are always, to me, um, it is interesting also having that match right before the international break. Like how much of that momentum is actually going to carry mm-hmm. over past the international break remains to be seen. But that, to me, was a big swing, you know, in result in a match that looked like late. Maybe Arsenal are going to leave with zero points and they get all three. And now Man United find themselves sitting in 11th in the table. So we will talk more about Man United coming up. But first, let's start with the uh, City-West Ham match. Man City, the only team to uh, not give up any points, not giving up goals, but, you know, 12 from 12 when it comes to points this year. Four wins in four matches. The only uh, team that has been unbeaten and not tied. Manchester City Football Club, treble winners from last year. You can stop me whenever you want, Eli. Seriously, though, this is a big test for City going to West Ham United, who have been one of the surprise teams early on in this season. And it feels like, and every time Man City play West Ham, it feels like they are the exact type of squad and the way they play and with the personnel they have to combat City, right? To take on that pressure, take on that pressure, boom, counterattack, goal, 1-0. And that worries me. I'm going to be totally honest with you. It worries me on Saturday for the citizens. Well, you know what West Ham don't have that they would have had the last few times they played Man City? What's that? Declan Rice. And that's so true. As good as their start has been, and I've been very encouraged by them, this is not how I feel about West Ham over the course of this season. But I almost—I wouldn't say I disagree with you, but I, I think because of how they're set up, which is to sort of sit back and wait for you to make a mistake, I mean, that's how they got, what, Chelsea a couple weeks back. Mikel Antonio is just going to be there when you do something stupid, and he's going to bash in a goal. That's how they operate. I don't necessarily see City putting itself in that spot. They know how to break down, um, you know, a, a, a team that's sitting back and, and keeping defenders deep. So I think that's going to be the challenge is, is breaking through that. But we know what happens for City once they do it once. If they can get that early goal, things will open up. West Ham will have to put a bit more forward, and I think that's how you end up, and you've seen it plenty watching City with a, a tight game that then ends up being, you know, 4-0. So I, I, that's where I lean on it, but I, I would say all the credit to West Ham thus far. Like, they've, they've got 10 points for, for good reason. David Moyes is doing really well, so I maybe need to give them a bit more credit than, uh, than I am. But I lean towards City going there and, and taking care of business. I hope you're right. I hope you are right. I worry that, you know, a team like West Ham who does pounce some mistakes, maybe there's going to be a few more mistakes because we just came out of that international break and maybe City are going to pay for those on the counterattack. Um, that stuff worries me, but they do. They are certainly the better of the two teams and they should go in there and at least get one point and probably all three. So uh, should be a good matchup 9 a.m. on Saturday. Then you get Brighton and Man United. Man United traveling to the Amex to take on Brighton and Hove Albion. The Seagulls. Uh, the Seagulls are, I think they're sixth right now in the Premier League. Man United 11th. Uh, Deserbery has really done great there for Brighton so far in his in his tenure in the last year or so since he took over for Graham Potter when he left for Chelsea. I, I quite enjoy Brighton. I love the way they play. I love the way Deserbery is in. Uh, in press conferences, I like everything about them. And of course, I'm a Man City fan, so I dislike everything about United. I know how this game 
in my mind, I want it to go, but in, in, in my mind, if I'm being totally honest, I think it's going to go a different way. And you said it earlier, Eli, man United are just, it's frustrating. I mean, I'm enjoying it, but it's gotta be frustrating for a man United fan to see like, there are those moments where you see just how good they can be. And then there are big chunks. I mean, 40 to 60 minute chunks of matches where you just wonder like, this this seems like a middle of the table club, and I mean, pointing uh, case in point, look at how they start against Nottingham Forest, right? It's two nil ten minutes yeah. into the match, and like those moments for Man United just are happening way too often right now. But I really do think Eric Ten Hag is a good manager. I do think they have the players. I think there's also a lot of stuff swirling around the club. You got the Mason Greenwood situation. Now you've got a situation with Jaden Sancho as well. That's going on. So, yeah, exactly. International break of the Premier League clubs in United, and it was an extension of a bad month and a half. It's all it's all been bad on on the kind of off the pitch end. Right, right. And I think maybe I think maybe in a weird way, this is one of those where you see them, especially going on the road. You see them maybe galvanize a little bit and get a point against Brighton. I do think like eleven for eleven. Man United are better than Brighton. They should, like City and West Ham, they should go in and get at least a point out of that match. So I'm really looking uh, looking towards that one this weekend as one that's going to be interesting to see how both teams react in it because, like, Ten Hag's not going to get fired or anything, but this is a terrible start for United if they go to Brighton and lose this weekend. Right. I mean, Brighton, led by Kaoru Matoma, my absolute favorite at the moment of, of the non-Spurs Premier Leaguers, Brighton are really fun. They tore through Newcastle. And that's what would scare me if, if I were a United fan. It's just all the bad vibes of the international break they're coming off of. Maybe, as you said, it's galvanizing. Or maybe it's kind of that mess trickles in. Um, we're going to find out. But I, I think for United, you said it like the, the on and off switch with them. feels like it's been present across managers and across, I don't know, six, seven years now where they just – I don't. What's their defined style of play? Like even under ten, you know, Hawk, you know what they feel like, Eli. They feel like the Dallas Cowboys, or maybe the Clippers, or maybe to some extent the Texas Longhorns, a team that you know has the talent to do it. But every year you can just count that they're going to make those silly mistakes and just switch off. Yeah, it's, look, you, all you need to do is watch that uh, that Rashford goal against Arsenal to see what they've got up top. Hoyland's promising. Fernandez, not a fan of him, but. There's some incredible stuff, but they're just lacking something, and they can really only seem to just turn it on in moments. And that's why I've, I've got questions about their ceiling for this season on the whole. But, you know, going to Brighton is no joke anymore. And you say, you know, 11 for 11, United might look, line up better. But Brighton, you could say that for a lot of the wins Brighton's picked up in the last couple of years. But they, they tend to, and in the same way, across multiple managers, but certainly with Deserby, they've taken on the big six or the top seven. No problem. We're going to get to Newcastle, but they they went right through them a couple of weeks ago, and so I, it's a it's that's becoming you know it used to be kind of a fun trip. I think to to Brighton is no longer that way for these big teams, and we'll see what United can bring at the end of as we said, like a really choppy window. Just not a lot of good good stuff coming out uh, from that part of Manchester right now. No, it's it's all that it's got to be a PR person's nightmare what they're dealing with at Manchester United right now. The other big match on Saturday, eleven thirty a.m. Newcastle 
and Brentford. Newcastle sitting in 14th right now. Not a good start, although it has been a really tough schedule to the beginning of the season for Newcastle. Uh, but one of the one of the big results was that loss against Brighton, where, as you said correctly, they were torn apart by Brighton. Taking on a Brentford side that we've seen what they can do, uh, similar to Brighton against some of the bigger teams in the Premier League over the last few years. You got any worries for Eddie Howe right now, Eli? Because it sounds like there's a lot of talk about if this doesn't get turned around quickly, he may be replaced. As much as I have rooted against it and, and him to a degree, I think Eddie Howe's done a wonderful job there. So I personally think it would be a little too fast if they if they jumped on him after a couple more results. But we know that there's pressure in that job. It, the rumblings have been that like it's not – as his place is not as secure as it seems based on the early results. And I do think, I think they had a weird summer. They spent money, but I didn't think they did it addressing like real needs. They spent a lot on Harvey Barnes and a lot on Sandro Tonali. I don't think that was like, Oh wow, those are two players they needed. And that's going to be why they can compete in the champions league now and compete for the league. I just saw two high price signings who you'd, you'd make those in FIFA, but I don't know if they really made sense um, in real terms. So it could be, kind of sticky there pretty soon and I, we're going to learn how much patience this ownership group whether you believe it's uh independent or not has for for stuff like this here's the question todd they fire eddie howe who do you bring in i've got four names off the top of the head who, okay. who are at least available at least available julian nagelsman would have been another one but it sounds like he's going to get scooped up uh or if not already uh but by the german national team here's one graham potter just okay. try all these on for size for me. Graham Potter, out of work, he's uh, available. Right. Christophe Gaultier, formerly of PSG, a thought. Okay. Now here's the one. Antonio Conte. I knew you were going to say him. All right. <laughs> he deserves whatever miserable weather you get in Newcastle and all that. He deserves it all. The last one would be Zinedine Zidane. Those are the probably the four biggest name managers who are available right now. And I guess as much as I throw those names out there, some of it tongue-in-cheek, maybe the, the best security that Eddie Howe has is I don't really know who the realistic replacement is that you'd bring in in season and say this is going to be the guy to turn it around. So that well, might- Let me ask you this. You mentioned Graham Potter. So last year we saw Chelsea go get Graham Potter from Brighton. It didn't work. Do you think that will put clubs like Newcastle off of trying to hire someone like Deserby from Brighton away? Or you see what I'm saying? Yeah, I think I think Potter's or in his Frank own class. From Brentford or somebody. Yeah, I mean that would be Thomas Frank is the question. It's I guess it's the question for any mid-table manager who's found success is it's will it translate at a big club? And you hear that all the time. I mean Spurs earlier this year were in the on the look for a new mm-hmm. manager. They got it so right, but you know names like Thomas Frank and Deserby came up, and that was the question. I think Graham Potter's in his own class here because I think Deserby will be in line for a bigger job soon, and I think he'll be successful there. Potter, the same things that were popping up as an issue at Brighton at the end of his tenure, where they were kind of hitting that ceiling, they couldn't seem to break through, were the same things they struggled with when he was managing at Chelsea. And it's amazing kind of what a bright – trajectory he was on that's now been dashed i think he'll get a shot somewhere uh, eventually but you know he it was all xg but no goals and that was the case at brighton toward the end and it was the case at chelsea so that that to me would be the thing that would be concerning but i do still think pedigree and 
and where he's been, he's going to get a big job at some point, or rather may not be the biggest job right now. And I guess Newcastle lands in that class, but Potter will be back. Uh, it may not be right for Newcastle. I just also wonder, you know, I, there are so many comparisons between Newcastle and Manchester City, not just where their money came from, but like the seemingly endless amounts of money that they can spend, right? And City are the poster child for spending that money the right way to get the most success out of it. And if Newcastle are looking to kind of play that game plan, one of the things City did early on was they went and got managers from other countries that were kind of off the board, you know, uh, Roberto Mancini, Manuel Pellegrini, guys like that that were, you know, maybe not the first names you would think of. They hadn't been in the Premier League before, but brought them in to kind of bring kind of a different type of style to a team that was made up of a bunch of new players that had all come in at once. So um, maybe that's the route that Newcastle goes. I, I don't know. I I think I think Eddie Howe's going to be okay. I think, uh, I think they probably give him, you know, a little bit longer, but it's it's just so it's so reactionary to me how they treat managers in the Premier League. So I'm saying like realistically I think he'll be okay, but I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, they were to lose their next two if he were to be out as Newcastle well, manager. That's just the way it works. Here's the thing as well is you look at their fixtures and I've got this concern for Brighton, for Villa and Newcastle and I think I talked about it maybe the first time we spoke on this platform the mid-table sides that kind of played up and are now going to be playing in Europe, I've got concerns about just right. what they can do in terms of, of playing in all those competitions. And Newcastle probably seems the best equipped of them, but all right, they got uh, Brentford this weekend. Then they play Milan midweek. Then they've got... City oh, and they're in the, the group of death too. I forgot about that. Right. Yeah. So in the, between now and October 25th, They've got games between the Premier League, the EFL Cup, and, and the Champions League against AC Milan, Man City, PSG, West Ham, and Dortmund. And so it's not it, it's not going to get easier for them. I mean, maybe the the pressure isn't on in the Champions League because it is their first run there, and because of that group of death, maybe that's not going to be held against them in the same way. But it's a choppy run, and, and that's where you, again, the, the concern of just can you support two competitions, really? Three, if you're including that EFL Cup, which they might just bin away, or City might take them out of, but it's not an easy run up ahead. So oh. there, I think we will see the faith tested if if the struggle's there. It it may be in the long run. I mean, we'll never know this in the moment, but in the long run, it may be a blessing in disguise to finish fourth in that uh, group and to not even go play in Europa League and be able to concentrate on the league to get back to the Champions League next year and finish top four. Because I think that's where they've got to be. Because I think if they they can't get out of there and they drop down. I, I just think that these clubs are not, it, it takes something different in terms of squad building to be able to play multiple competitions at that level. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that you can do that. We see it all the time. I mean, West Ham last year, right? That was a, a much different competition, but they essentially sacrificed the league to compete in Europe. And that's great. But is Newcastle going to be okay with a, a ninth place finish in a Europa League semifinal? I don't know. It's the Inter-Miami way now that Leo Messi's here. You just sacrifice the league and you go after all those cups. That's all you do. That's all you do. Um, all right, let's talk about one more soccer-related thing, Eli, and that is the Saudi League. We've now had the transfer window come and go, and the Saudi League transfer window is a little bit later. But there's been so much money spent, just ungodly amounts of money spent by the Saudi League to bring over 
quite frankly, a pretty good cast of star players. Like this is this is not like one or two aging stars like the MLS has signed. They're signing guys in their you know mid to late twenties and some of the really good players in their thirties and putting together kind of this all star league in uh, Saudi Arabia. And I mean, we saw Live Golf, Eli, and how it worked and. Now they've become a part of the tour with the public investment fund. Like they've worked together on that. For Liv, you're looking at recruiting a pool of about 40 players. And I think the most one of those guys got paid was around 200 million. And for this pursuit, you're looking at a ton of money being spent because you're looking at 200 million to, you know, multiple players, right? Not just one guy. They are spending so much cash and you've got to field multiple teams and you've got to keep refreshing and refreshing much more than you do in golf. So there's a lot of money being put into this, but we always hear the the Saudi public investment fund, which runs their professional league, has a bottomless pit of cash. We saw the Premier League basically hold their hand out and say, give us money, right? Like there are so many teams, Chelsea is the main one who made so much money off of selling players to the Saudi league this year. They're not going to stop taking Saudi league money. Players aren't going to stop taking those big contracts. Are we looking at a world where, you know, five, six, ten years down the road, we have to consider the Saudi league maybe to be in Champions League competition or as one of the better leagues in the world? It's a stunning amount of money they spent this summer. I think that's where you got to start, right? They outspent all the other, the top five leagues. It, depending on where you look, depending on if you're talking about euros, pounds, US dollars, something in the range of close to a billion dollars on transfers this summer. You know the last time a non-top five league outspent the top five leagues in a summer window? Never happened? 2016. That was with the Chinese Super League. Oh, the that's your though, one, you yeah. You mentioned that bottomless pit of money. It was even said then that the Chinese league had kind of built itself a bubble because these were, I mean, very wealthy, but individual owners spending that kind of money to get a league off the ground. And by 2020, if not sooner, these clubs were defaulting and and not even able to pay their players wages uh, because these were tied. These were really, really wealthy businessmen, but people who had money tied up in industries that, that crumpled during COVID. So that, that was one instance, the Saudi league, apparently, as you said, has all the money in the world. So that shouldn't be a problem. I don't think this is a money-making proposition for them. And we could get into all that of, of then what are they trying to achieve here. But that's why it seems at least somewhat sustainable. They could keep doing this. And I think their goal, probably to some degree, I, I could, you know, I, I think people have theorized that you're going to see a Saudi all-star team that comes and plays uh, MLS clubs or comes and plays, uh, in, you know, in the summer, friendlies against premier league teams what's to say that any of these teams aren't going to try to lobby to get into the champions league in a few years do you have faith that uefa uh will keep this kind of money we'll, we'll say no we're well, good and we let's not forget we now have we now have the club champions league too right which is going to be played the first one in the usa so you know if they keep winning that and winning that you're in and you're out but I do still think there's a gulf of where the, the serious competition is. I think you if you watch any of these games, you're seeing, you know, there's that front line. I think of Bobby Firmino, Sadio Mane, and I'm now mixing it up, but, you know, an, an absurd attacking front three playing against a bunch of guys who were in the Saudi League previously with teammates 
who were in the Saudi league previously, the quality of play is still not there. And so that's where you, you do, I guess, just have the question of like, what's it going to be from a competition standpoint, but in terms of a destination for any want, want away star who has no issue with the politics or, or taking that money, it's a perfect landing spot. And it's a huge thing for a club like Chelsea or, or any of these clubs that have big names, they're paying big salaries. It seems like you can just dump them to Saudi and, and kind of recoup your money in that way. And, uh, I don't know. That was a long answer of saying, I, I guess we don't really know where this is going, but I don't think it's going away. I would just say this to anyone from the Saudi league, from the public and public investment fund that's listening. I can be bought. Uh, <laughs> I am after all a sellout, so I can be bought. Uh, just get in touch with me. You can, I mean, first thing to do, if you really want to, if you really want to get in touch with me, is subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple podcasts, all that stuff. Uh, but you know, then make me an offer and we'll talk. Uh, but it's, I don't think it's going away either, Eli. I, I just wonder. I wonder at some point if the publicity is going to get too. Like, I hate to say this, but what happens the next time there's a journalist murdered? Like, is is that going to pop the bubble for players wanting to go over there and play in the Saudi? You see what I'm saying? Is that going to pop the bubble on them trying to get into UEFA competitions? I think that's that's like something that still is TBD, but. I have no problem. I totally understand how these guys are taking the money. Seriously. Like you're talking about, I mean, Harold Varner, who was in, you know, a live golfer. He's, he's like, you know, this is not money for me. This is like three, four generations of my family. That's now taken care of, you know, like we all are here to try to leave some sort of legacy. I think whether it's, you know, down a very small chain of just family members or this big wide net, but, like there's no better legacy you can leave than that. So I totally understand how that money could be tantalizing to somebody, but I just don't know. I'm, I'm waiting on some sort of PR nightmare to happen as crazy as that sounds. Like, I feel like that's the next step in this. And I don't feel like there was ever the PR nightmare for China. It was COVID that kind of killed it. And, um, you know, it wasn't as bottomless of a pit, but I don't know. I, maybe that's me hoping because I love the Premier League so much, but I'd hate to think that at some point the Saudi League is going to have all the best players. I struggle still to see that. I, I don't know that these big clubs will ever let it happen uh, in that way. But, you know, I, I'd like to have faith that, you know, when some the next, you know, human rights issue pops up, that the football world and the greater world will, will do something about it. Unfortunately, I don't know uh, what the track record looks like on that. It, these things tend ultimately to be to be overlooked when when the money's good enough i think the other two questions you got to have one is it what what are the experiences going to be like there's already reports that kareem benzema is not really thrilled to be there uh there's also what uh diego shoot the guy from celtic who uh who went yeah i can't think of his name either i know who you're talking about though come on come on Google machine. All right. so it's Diago Jota. The reason it threw me off is because there's the other Diego Jota. But he went there and has already, I mean, didn't even last a month. And we don't really know the circumstances of that. What are the experiences the guys are getting there? It's one sure. thing for you to be 35 years old and kind of, that was a lot of the story with, with China. Was old, they were paying for older stars. Some of what you're seeing here, but MLS the same. I don't know that the 24-year-old starlets are going to keep going if, if the experiences are not what they're looking for to develop their game. The second is not, I won't hold, you know, I think we're kind of past that with live and with this of really holding it against someone for taking the money. 
people have their reasons. You laid it out that Harold Varner deal. That was a Kent Babb story in the Washington Post that really gave the best justification yet of anybody who went and did live. But I think there has to be an understanding of what's forfeited. Jordan Henderson, who was an outspoken advocate and an ally for LGBTQ rights in the UK and all that, you know, he went and that clearly shook um, the, the communities that he'd been involved with and really tore down that, if you want to call it an illusion of what he really meant by all that. And then he gave an interview with The Athletic where he seemed confused about what happened and, and said, no, this doesn't change anything. I think that's the trade-off. Uh, if, if someone wants to go collect that kind of money for, for their family, for themselves, they've got that right. But what you what you lose in that is is the ability, I think, for Jordan Henderson, at least, to, to stand by what he'd said in the past. And I think that's going to be the issue for some of these guys to navigate. Many of them, though, that's not f- first and foremost for them. They're footballers who go make a lot of money and they can do it there. Yeah, I mean, I... I think you can go on any team in any sport and any place in the world and you're going to find some people who you go, oh, this guy's here because he's really good at sports and some people who you go, oh, this guy would be successful if sports weren't part of the deal, right? And I think some of that first group, I, like, of course they're going to go take some of the Saudi money. No questions asked. It's not even a big deal to them. Um, I don't know. It'll It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. There was everything always goes crazy the first time and this was the first transfer window where that Saudi money was flowing in. We'll see if it continues to flow. Uh, like you mentioned in 2016, that happened with the Chinese Super League, <clears throat> and it dried up pretty quickly. Like There were still a few buys here and there, but it was never like it was in 2016. So we'll see how that all plays out uh, as we move forward. All right, let's talk about your trip this weekend, Eli, before we get out of here. You're headed up the Turner Turnpike. You're going to see Chapman Stadium for the first time. Am I correct on that? That is, well, I've been in there once, I, I and I can talk about this, but I spoke with Rick Dixon, the Tulsa AD, earlier this week, and I was saying it's my first time at Chapman Stadium. It'll be my first game there. I was there a few years back. Tyler Lockett had a summer camp uh, day that I went to and covered, but this will be my first trip there, and, I mean, 30,000 people, sold-out crowd at Chapman uh Chapman sell out crowd. Sell out crowd. Sell, no, that's just me and Barry. We're the sell-out crowd at Chapman Stadium. <laughs> the sold-out crowd will be the uh the 30,000 in there and it's going to be cool well, it's gonna be a great day I'm excited for it I will tell you I've covered many a Jinx Union game up there called it it's cool when you call Jinx Union from Chapman Stadium because <clears throat> Jinx and Union have their own radio booths right so they're mm-hmm. one's in the home booth one's in the visitors and we were always you know whether I was with the sports handler or with the franchise I've called it with both places they would always put us in the instant replay booth which was awesome because, like, in the background, you'd see all the equipment, and I just wanted to mess with it, and you know, maybe like, uh, maybe like, leave a posted note or something on it with, you know, you guys can't see or something like that. But no, it was really cool. Like, it's very tight confines in the press box. Uh, you will find that out very quickly. Get to your seat. Maybe use the restroom before because if you get up, someone might take it. No, I'm ki- I'm kidding. No one would take your seat, but it is very tight up there. It's a small it's, press box. It's a throwback. And I think it's cool that OU is playing a game like this every now and again. It's a, a cool thing for OU to be doing. And, again, you, you talk to someone like Rick Dixon who, who lays out what this means for the program, what it means in year one with Kevin Wilson, and, and actually what it means to him. He's a guy who had been the AD there uh, in the 90s. He's a Tulsa guy, went to TU, left, and, and had a career that took him to Washington State and Tulane. And he was ready to be done as an administrator before he came back in 2020 and a day like this, I think for him, you know, this, this is kind of the mission that he returned 
for was to, to get TU just sort of back on track. You know, you see, he uses the word relevancy as the smallest FBS school in the, in the country. Um, and they've got a long way to go in the football field still, but a day like Saturday, which kind of, this is kicking off a, a run over the next decade. They've got Arkansas, they've got uh, games with Oklahoma state coming up. I think that they view this as the start of something, not just one big day. Uh, so it, it's going to be a fun one. It's going to be a beautiful day as well in Tulsa. So I'm, I'm thrilled. I just wonder what Tulsa's got left in the tank. They had to go play at Washington last week, which is not an easy game the week before coming home and playing Oklahoma. I know the fans are going to be jazzed up. I'm sure it's going to be probably like 70% Oklahoma fans. Uh, you know, I went to, gosh, what was it like 07 maybe, 06 they played up there. Uh, I went to that game. It was when I kind of first started in radio, maybe even earlier than that. might have been 03 or something. But um, And it was – I probably 65. That was back when it was Skelly stadium still too. I think back in those days, um, it was, there were, they actually, you know, you may not know this Eli, but there's actually fewer seats now than they used. There used to be, cause there were seats in that end zone where the, the building is like yep. the, the football building. So, uh, back in those days, you could get a few more people in. It's always, there's like a lot of great memories there for me. I would say top memories for me at Skelly slash Chapman stadium. Uh, like in person, I was there. Number one, well, let's go backwards. Number three, uh, I saw an incredible Jinx Union game there where uh, Union and Jinx went to double overtime. Union blocked an extra point. Uh-oh, we got a, we got a package arriving at the house. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, Jinx blocked the extra, or Union blocked the extra point in overtime, and uh, Tress Way kicked the game-winning extra point in double overtime for Union. Hang on a second. Hey, Bear, Bear, <laughs> it's okay, buddy. It's going to be all right. Thank you. All right. We'll see how well that worked. Uh, but, no, Tressway kicked the game-winning extra point. It was actually a game like NFL Films was there, and they were doing a documentary on Jinx Union, and they got one of the greatest games ever. Um, so I was there for that. That's number three on the list. Number two on the list, I went there with a buddy who was getting recruited by Tulsa when I was a junior in high school. And uh, they were playing against TCU, and I saw a freshman running back by the name of Ladanian Tomlinson run for about 200 yards against Tulsa. And then number one on the list, you're thinking, what can be better than that, right? I was doing sidelines for a game with the great Craig Humphreys from the Sports Animal once, and there was a streaker at the Jinx Union game. And it was uh, was on the sidelines, and Craig Humphreys, God love him, said, and we have a streaker. Let's send it down to Todd Lizenby on the sidelines for more. And I was put on the spot, like, what do I say, right? So I made something up, made Craig laugh, but I'll never forget that. It's the first and only time I've ever seen a streaker at a game. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it happened, like, feet from me. Amazing so, how far our colleague Garen Emig has come from that night. That's true. That is true. Uh, I don't I don't know if it was a student. I hope it was a student. But, yeah, that was – that was certainly a memorable one. I think Jinx won that game 9-7, to seven actually. But uh, Skelly Stadium, Chapman Stadium, there have been a lot of good moments. I actually also, Eli, real quickly, one of my first ever OU football games I went to was in 1996. The Sooners hosted Tulsa, and Wes Caswell caught a 99-yard touchdown pass for Tulsa in that game. Tulsa won in Norman uh, against John Blake in his first season. So that was kind of the lowest points of OU football back in the day when Wes Caswell caught the 99-yarder. So uh, I've got a soft spot in my heart for TU. 
more fireworks Saturday? You think we can get some more from TU? Man, I know they're going to be jazzed up for this game, but I just feel like Oklahoma – what's weird is like, oh, you won and covered last week. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like they played great, especially on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I just think they're going to – they're gonna kind of run through Tulsa. Uh, what did what did Patton say? Like crap through a goose. I think is what's gonna happen on Saturday. I think it's it's entirely possible to your point there that Tulsa might be on the ed- receiving end of a get right game for OU. Yeah. Um. You know, maybe if the, the schedule was flipped and they got they were the week two opponent, they might have gotten that sort of drop off performance that OU had against T- uh, SMU. This is the week where I'm sure they've been hearing it all in practice about the, the little things they've got to be better on. And I imagine they're going to be uh, a whole lot better this week. Eli, I appreciate you as always. Uh, don't forget the offers up there. If you want to call me, you can call me uh, on the way to the OU Tulsa game and I'll give you play by play. That's the offers there. The entire Tottenham, all 90 minutes? Tottenham uh, you know. Maybe. I mean, like, I'm not going to promise I'm not going to have to use the restroom or something. Like, I'm going to have to set the phone down for a minute or two. But, or, you know, like, if coffee's ready, I'm going to get coffee. But I'll I'll let you know. I can take it. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. All right. Thank you, Eli, for coming on the Todd Pod. Appreciate sure. it. Eli, tell everyone where they can check out all your stuff. Well, you can find all my stuff specifically at eli-letterman.com. But all of our stuff is at selloutcrowd.com. All the work you're doing, Todd, all my OU coverage, Garen, Jenny, Barry, our Thunder stuff popping off now. We got everything. We got podcasts from everyone. So head to selloutcrowd.com. No excuse. If you're not subscribed yet, like what are you doing? It's free. We'll hit up, we'll be in your inbox. We'll we'll be on your timelines. Come find us. And listen, it's only going to get bigger and better. Like right. I think we've talked about some of the meetings that we've had, you know, in private. Really excited about the things we're going to do. So the chance to jump in right now, uh, is right now i should say at the uh, beginning of this and kind of take the ride with us here at selloutcrowd.com you can find all my stuff at toddlisenby.com uh i've got some stupid stories going up there this week because that's what i do i write the stupid stories while people like eli write the big important stories i've also got some podcasts from earlier this week some shows with john kurtz from kansas state from john ham not the actor our thunder reporter uh and eli i'm sure will be back with me next week as well as we talk more Premier League. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment. All those things help. Tell your friends. If you hate us, tell your enemies. And as always, thank you for checking out the Todd Pod. Mm-hmm.